Hello, and welcome to the Personal Injury Law Podcast. My name is Jonathan Rosenfeld, an attorney at Rosenfeld Injury Lawyers, LLC. This podcast is here to break down the barriers when it comes to the world of personal injury law. Each podcast will go into detail about a specific legal issue or type of personal injury case, from everyday occurrences to the esoteric. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. For more information, visit my website at rosenfeldinjurylawyers.com. Hi, I'm Jonathan Rosenfeld, and I am an attorney in Chicago, Illinois, and I am here today with my good friend, colleague, Marty Gould. And today I wanna to talk with Marty a little bit about a, uh, a sex abuse case that has made the headlines pretty much all over the, the world, really, for the past couple of years. And that involves Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, Marty and I have worked together on different types of sex abuse cases. And as attorneys who prosecute these cases, I wanted to get some insight from Marty about the status of these cases and what is going on and, and how victims can potentially uh, get involved in terms of uh, filing a claim. But before we get to any of that, Marty, can you uh, first off, thank you for joining me today. And can you just uh, please just give us a, uh, a little bit of background about yourself? Sure. Um, I'm of counsel at Rosenfeld Injury Lawyers. We handle sexual abuse cases all across the country. Uh, we're in over 20 to 25 states. And that's essentially what I do. It's, it's the focus of my practice. And we're not only lawyers, but we're advocates. We're, we're advocating to change statute limitations laws to give access to the courts for uh, survivors. Uh, and we're also advocates in terms of uh, fighting to make sure our clients get counseling and injustice in, in their cases. Now, I wanna talk with you about these Jeffrey Epstein cases. And before I, I do that, um, I want we were just talking a little bit about the, uh, the Netflix documentary uh, filthy rich about these cases. And if anyone is looking for something to watch, which is both horrifically disturbing and gripping at the same time, uh, I would highly recommend that you watch this documentary because it really goes through uh, how Jeffrey Epstein basically systematically uh, found these young girls uh, you know, he sought them out. He essentially, he corralled them into uh, his world in Florida. Uh, and it's, it's really just a shocking um, thing to witness as to how he was able to manipulate the system. Um, and we can talk a little bit about the cases in general, but today I wanna really take a step back and I wanna talk with you a little bit about um, what is going on in terms of how these claims are being handled. Um, these, unlike other types of sexual abuse claims where uh, involving a church or school or other organization, these cases are actually being brought in a separate uh, claims handling manner. Um, 
Can you share with us a little bit about what is going on in terms of these Jeffrey Epstein cases, uh, how they're being handled, um, and what the status of them currently is? As most uh, people are aware from all the media reports, Jeffrey Epstein was a, a very wealthy financier uh, who was alleged to have transported underage girls to his homes in the U.S. Virgin Islands, uh, to New York, and to his ranch in New Mexico, and forced them into sex work. Uh, most of the survivors were abused between 2001 up until 2018. And he was criminally charged. He was criminally charged uh, over a decade ago. And then he was also criminally charged uh, more recently. Uh, he was brought to a federal detention facility in August 2019. Before the survivors could get justice in the criminal process, he committed suicide. Uh, law enforcement still investigating the case. They're, they're still investigating any other potential uh, co-conspirators. Then you have the civil cases. Uh, there's really two processes in which survivors can get justice. One is many have filed lawsuits in the state of New York. For anyone that was abused as a minor, uh, they can file up until August 14, 2021, which is when the New York Child Victims Act uh, window expires, the time period in which uh, anyone who abuses a child in New York has to file a lawsuit. The executors of Epstein's estate also created a separate process. Okay, separate from the actual uh, civil justice system, there's a Epstein Victims Compensation Fund that was created. It's an vo entirely voluntary process where survivors can submit claims. In many of those circumstances, they provide some type of testimony, a, a statement. So the claims handlers can assess what happened. Uh, they can also get counseling through that process and attempt to seek justice that way. Uh, over 50 uh, claims have been settled through that process thus far. And over $50 million have, I'm sorry, over 150 claims have been settled through that process and more than $50 million have been paid out. Now, in these civil cases, and, the, and these are really uh, what you're talking about in terms of the, the victim's fund, uh, that does not necessarily mean that they're filing a lawsuit, does it? It does not. Okay. So you can... A survivor doesn't have to file a lawsuit. They can go through the Epstein Victim Compensation Program, which is also confidential, and they can attempt to resolve their case that way. The process typically involves filling out a questionnaire. Uh, the questionnaire asks, you know, when the abuse occurred, where it occurred, how they met uh, Jeffrey Epstein, any other potential witnesses, and typically involves a statement. And then it's submitted to uh, claims handlers who assess the cases and then may provide a, a potential settlement amount. And it typically goes back and forth with the lawyers. You don't have to accept the settlement. Um, it's important to have a lawyer negotiating with you and helping you put the package together to understand what the case should settle for and to make sure you're meeting all the required deadlines. Now, as an attorney who handles different types of civil cases involving sexual abuse. Um, can you just talk a little bit about the damages in these cases? 
Um, you know, unlike other types of personal injury cases where, you know, I have a broken bone um, and everyone can see that I have a broken bone, a lot of times in, uh, in a sexual abuse setting, a victim may walk into a room and he or she looks healthy, relatively happy. You know, they don't really look very different than, than you or I. Um, how, as a, as a trial attorney, how do you convey the damages in a case like that so that person can get the compensation that they really are entitled to? You know, psychological scars, I think, are some of the worst injuries that anybody can have. Uh, and like you pointed out, it's not always easy to show a jury what those scars are because they don't walk into court in a wheelchair or with a cast down their arm or their neck. Um, but there's ways to let the jury or the claims handlers or the insurance adjuster or the, or the defense attorneys know how it's impacted a person. Um, typically, it starts with the testimony from the survivor. You know, they, they provide testimony about how it's impacted them, trust issues they've had, uh, the feelings of anger, humiliation, um, you know, the, their personal pain and suffering from what happened. In many cases, clients have also went through counseling where, you know, in some cases they've spoken about the abuse and how it's impacted them. In many cases, people have, have went through counseling and never mentioned the abuse. That, that's, that's fine too. You can still use that to help show how it's impacted you if you are exhibiting depression, anxiety, perhaps you didn't tie it to that specific uh, abuse until you actually saw a counselor or until you heard about these cases or until you started going through this process. Um, so any prior counseling records, therapist records, uh, there, we also look at your employment history. You know, if, if it's had difficult, if, if you've had difficulties uh, listening to supervisors or holding a job, that could be evidence of, of one way in which the abuse impacted you. Testimony from family members. If you have a, a wife, a girlfriend, siblings, they can also provide testimony about how it's impacted you, how it's impacted uh, your relationship with your children. Perhaps uh, you're, you're not as affectionate or you don't like when people touch you. So there's many ways in which we can explain to the other side, how it's impacted you. Uh, and, you know, in some cases, if you haven't done counseling yet, because you just never want to tell anybody or you didn't have the financial means to do so, uh, we can get you into counseling. And even a recent counselor who, who's treated you, they can provide testimony. Some people have post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms, uh, anxiety disorders. So there's many ways in which we go about explaining the psychological traumas, even though you may not have any visible physical uh, injury to show. Now, these cases, as you mentioned, are is claims. They're actually being handled in the, the U.S. Virgin Islands. And there's a um, couple um, high-profile um, administrators who are overseeing the claims process. Um, now, if a victim you know, is sitting at home and they're saying to themselves, well, you know, I don't have the, the resources. How, you know, how am I going to get to the U.S. Virgin Islands? Um, 
I guess sort of, first off, I assume they don't have to go to the U.S. Virgin Islands to, to pursue a claim, correct? That's correct. Okay. And, you know, the other thing that comes up in a lot of these cases, you know, having represented um, victims in, in sexual abuse cases is sometimes there, there's a perception that they need uh, funds or some kind of money to get a case started. Um, now, you and I work on a lot of these cases and we handle these cases on what's called the contingency fee basis where um, we only get paid when and if a case gets resolved. Um, we advance all of the costs associated with bringing a case. Um, can you just elaborate a little bit about the contingency process? Um, you know, and again, just sort of, uh, you know, explain to, to, to folks at home how that process works. Um, because a lot of times there's this, uh, there's a horrible uh, predicament that victims face where they feel even more trapped than they, they need to be because they feel like they can't contact an attorney uh, without, you know, having the financial resources to, to pay them. Um, and so in a situation like this, where the, we handle a case on a contingency fee, um, can you explain to them a little bit how that works and, and sort of what that process is? If in many of our cases, the defendants in the case are institutions, their companies, they have the means to hire lawyers and pay them on an hourly basis, whatever that may be, hundreds of dollars it could be. Uh, and then every couple of weeks, they get a, a check from the company paying off the legal fees. They front all the costs. Our clients are regular people. Uh, most of our clients, if not all of our clients, uh, have endured terrible traumas. They, the last thing that they need to be worrying about when they're thinking about pursuing a case is how they're gonna pay for lawyers to represent them. We take cases on a contingency fee basis where we uh, only collect an attorney's fee if we at recover for the client. If we're able to actually obtain a settlement through a, a jury trial, through uh, mediation, through, through any other means, that's how we collect our attorney's fees. And if we can't, if we take on your case and the case gets dismissed because of a statute of limitations argument or we couldn't prove our case, we don't collect anything from you. Uh, and that's just because of the nature of the type of work we do. Uh, and just from a fairness perspective, it's, it's a lot for a survivor or a client to be thinking about, uh, especially at this time. One of the nice things about the contingency fee agreement is that really the interest of the client and the attorney who's representing them are, are really in line with one another because um, we want them to recover as much as possible under their circumstance um, because it, it really serves them as well as it, um, it really, that's again, it's how it's an incentive for us uh, to secure that recovery. Um, and I guess in a situation like this, given the, sort of the time frame involved in terms of pursuing a, a, a claim with this victim's fund. Um, do you have any recommendations to a, a person who may be a victim of Jeffrey Epstein, who maybe sort of been, has been sort of sitting on the sidelines for a while and watching this whole situation play out? Do you have any advice for them as to 
what they can or should do at this point in terms of moving forward? Uh, they should speak to a lawyer as soon as possible. There's deadlines that are very important to follow. Um, you know, there's a, a claims deadline for March 25th. There's also registration deadlines uh, that the uh, Epstein Compensation Fund has created. So my advice would be speak with a lawyer as soon as possible and find out what potential deadlines there are that could impact any potential case you have. You don't want to uh, miss your chance at getting compensation or getting closure through this process because um, you didn't speak with a lawyer and find out you know, what your options were and when those deadlines were. Now, I'm going to ask you a little bit about um, another issue that seems to come up in consistently in these cases, uh, and that is uh, related to privacy. Um, as a victim of a, uh, a sexual crime, if you will, um, a lot of times people there's a huge hesitation involved with pursuing a claim or a lawsuit because they just don't want their name going out in public. Um, in most lawsuits, um, it's a public record. You're filed in a, in a courthouse, and that is a public record where that can be searched by uh, the, the plaintiff's name or the defendant's name. Um, in a case involving sexual abuse, um, are there any safeguards that can be put into place to protect their privacy and to really insulate them uh, from getting the scrutiny from either friends, relatives, or even from media at this point? The laws in most states uh, permit survivors in childhood sexual abuse cases to file their lawsuits uh, anonymously. Most of these lawsuits are filed as a John Doe or a Jane Doe because there's an understanding of uh, the sensitive, uh, personal, confidential nature of these types of cases. So, you know, with that process, it allows somebody to pursue a case, to fight for justice, to obtain a, a compensation without having to worry about everybody in their community finding out what had happened to them. Um, and for that reason, we have people, you know, from all different backgrounds. Some people have uh, public jobs. Some people, um, you know, are law enforcement. I have former or current police officers that were abused as, as children that have brought claims. Um, so we have all different types of clients. And that mechanism allows them to pursue their cases without having to disclose their name publicly. Now, there's still the option to file your case publicly if that's what you want to do. And it's, and it's totally up to the, to the client. Uh, in, the, in the mediation process, such as the Epstein compensation program, it's all done confidentially. So there's no requirement for you to publicize your name as somebody who was abused by Jeffrey Epstein. The same is applied for the Boy Scouts of America cases. Uh, those, all those survivors, their names are kept confidential unless they decide they don't want to have their name kept confidentially. So there's typically that option in nearly every state and every compensation program that I've been involved with and that I'm aware of. Well, 
I really appreciate you sitting down with me today and sort of giving us an update about how these cases are being handled. Um, and if anyone has a question about a potential claim or if they're looking for more information, I am going to put your contact information in our show notes so they can reach out to you directly. But again, thank you for spending some time with me today and I appreciate your expertise on this area. Thank you for listening to the Personal Injury Law Podcast. I'm Jonathan Rosenfeld. If you or anyone you know would like more information on any of the topics on the podcast, please visit my website at rosenfeldinjurylawyers.com. If you like the show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Please feel free to rate the show and leave a review. Thanks again for listening and have a great day. Thank you.